Hey, church, if you have a Bible, why don't you get it out and turn to Psalm 46. We have uh, been going through for the last several weeks a discussion on Christ's heart for sinners and sufferers. And uh, so today we want to finish that up. And and specifically, I want to finish with what I think is a perfect so what or an application to understanding his heart for us. Um, and, And there's a particular sentence in Psalm 46 I know almost everyone is familiar with. It is that sentence that goes like this, be still and know that I am God. We've been looking at how God thinks and feels about sinners, and that understanding of God's heart should change how we struggle with trouble or how we deal with our life and the situations of our life. But let me ask you a question. Based on that one sentence, be still and know that I am God. Let me ask you a question about your heart. Do you think your heart is at peace right now? If you're really honest, how is your heart doing? If you uh, told me not so good, I'd understand. I really would. Um, We've got so many things going on in our world, in our culture, in our homes potentially. We have a a COVID crisis. We have uh, the social tensions, social distancing. We're all wearing masks. Uh, We can't go to work, many of us. Uh, there's there's problems everywhere. Politics are coming down the pipe uh, towards us too. And so there's this tension, this growing tension in our hearts uh, in this situation that we find ourselves in. This passage in Psalms, the chapter 46, is what I call good medicine for that story in our life right now. Let me give you a little context on the background of this, this particular psalm. If you've noticed a heading, if you have a heading in your Bible, you'll have one like I do. And it says, to the choir master of the sons of Korah. Let me give you a little reminder of the sons of Korah. I know we've talked about this in years past, but it's a good reminder. Um, The sons of Korah, the story begins really, you find it in the book of Numbers. Uh, In chapter 3 of Numbers, it is the people of God are kind of on the second year out from Egypt, wandering in the desert. And God has given Moses instructions for the people, specifically things to carry out in their worship of God. And he calls Aaron and his descendants and says, I'm calling you and I'm setting you aside as priests for me to represent the people to me. And he calls Levi and he says, your descendants, your family are going to serve Aaron by taking care of the tabernacle and all the things that go into this worship environment for me. And perhaps you remember this, but Eli, uh, Levi had three sons. One son was Gershon. His responsibility was for the tent and the coverings that were a part of the tabernacle. His other sons, Merari, he was supposed to take care of the uh, the posts and the beams and the, and the 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 kind of framework of this tabernacle. And then you have. Kohath, who his responsibility was to take care of the furnishings, or in other words, the holy things that were a part of the tabernacle. And in the way they distributed their work, the the first two sons, Gershon and Merai, they would be able to haul the stuff around with carts and wagons and animals. But Kohath, because these were holy things, his his tribe had to carry these things and cover these things in a very precise fashion and manner. And if they didn't do that, uh, there was consequences, death consequences for for that work. Well, now you fast forward through the years, and there is this grandson named uh, Korah. And he grew tired of the work of carrying all these furnishings by hand, and 
he looked over at uh, the, the sons of, of Aaron and the priests and thought, well, that's a very envious job. I'd like to do that job. And so he kind of rose up a, a coup, some 250 other leaders at that time, to come against Moses and to suggest somehow that the job that Moses was doing was something that they would prefer to do. And so God spoke to Moses and warned him about these people. And so Moses went to Korah, and he pronounced really God's statement, like, this is not right, and you shouldn't do it. But he said basically to Korah, let's let God decide uh, who we're supposed to follow. And so he said, if, if, in this sense, you come and you bring what you think, these censers, these things that priests would carry, and you kind of pretend to be a priest like you want to, and, and here's what we're going to see. If, if God should at this time tomorrow bring natural death, if these men die of natural death over, over a period of time, then God didn't call me to lead anything. But if for some reason God does a new thing, like open the earth up and swallow these men, then you'll know for certain that they have rebelled against God and I'm truly your leader. And exactly at that moment, when Moses is done talking, the earth does open up and swallow uh, Korah and all these rebels that have come against Moses, all right? Now, you might think at that moment that that's the end of the story, the end of the line of Korah, that God has dealt a, a kind of a, a finishing blow to the re rebellious hearts of those people. But if you fast forward in Scripture, some seven generations later, the sons of Korah show up again, and they show up here in our passage in Psalm 46. And it shows up in the time of David as king. And, and you know this about David. David... Um, David was passionate about God worship. He was a writer of songs, and he was a ridic ridiculous worshiper of God. And it was David who basically formed an elaborate kind of structure for songwriting and worship for the people of God in, in, in Israel in that day. And what's really fascinating about David is that David used the, the descendants of Korah, the sons of Korah, to write songs and to worship and to lead worship for the people. They wrote some of the most famous songs that you're familiar with in, in the book of Psalms, in Psalm 42, as the deer pants for the water, so my soul pants after you, O God. Or even maybe even more familiar in Psalm 84, how lovely is the dwelling place, your dwelling place, O God. And then again here in Psalm 46. So let me do this. Let me read this psalm. Let me just talk about it a little bit. And then we're going to take a journey uh, to kind of the conclusion of, of what I think this passage is implying here. Here's three sections, section 1 through 3, section 4 through 7, and section 8 through 11 of Psalm 46. Let me read it for us. Here's what the sons of Korah sing. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. There's a wonderful, uh, a wonderful writer who kind of makes the point that this is our, this is God's refuge when, when, when nature is raging, when the earth is raging. I've got to believe, reading verse two, that what comes to the minds of the great, 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 great grandsons uh, of Korah is what their fathers told them that happened in that day with Moses. When the earth gives way is what he says. 
I won't fear when that happens, when the mountains are moved. In fact, Psalm 44, verse 1, it's written by the sons of Korah too, and it, it's a pretty, uh, pretty blatant understanding that they understood what happened in former days. It says, O God, we have heard with our ears, our fathers have told us what deeds you performed in the days of old. Those days, Moses' days, when God's people rose up to rebel against you and your will, we know that what you can do. And so here's what the sons of Korah are singing now. You're our refuge and you're our strength and you're our help. You're our present help in a time of trouble. Even when the earth is raging and falling apart, like what happened to our fathers, Lord God, you are a refuge. He goes on, these singers go on to, to say this in verse four. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy Habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage. The kingdoms totter. He utters his voice. The earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Someone has suggested that this is this is God's statement when when nations are coming apart, where when nations are raging, and I suppose there's no maybe better way or clearer way to describe what is going on in our world and our culture. Our nation is raging. Things are going crazy, f falling apart at the seams, it, it seems to us. Um, the fights and the wars and the disagreements and the arguments and the accusations, it seems like it's pulling apart. And yet, here's what the writer says. Here's what the sons of Korah sing, but there is a river. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God. City of God is code for God's people. And the river in this passage is God. You know, most places around the world, if you find a major city, you'll find a major river next to a major city. Jerusalem didn't have that. Unlike many other places, other large locations, there was no river running near Jerusalem, but there was a river. Rivers, you know, if you've been next to a they, they're peaceful. They meander. They're, they're used to move uh, commerce back and forth. They're, they're a thing that brings provision and is a thing that looks to the future. That's rivers. Jerusalem didn't have a physical river, but they had a river. The river is God. God, who is their father, God, who is their refuge and strength, God, who is their peace and who is their provision, who, who brings and supplies their needs, who is their future. There is a river whose streams make glad the city or the people of God. It is God himself, the Lord of hosts. He is with us. That's what the song sings. There's another last section here that will get us to the sentence that I mentioned earlier. And it's this idea that God is the one who actually is our refuge when our hearts are raging. So you've got nature, nature raging, you've got nations raging, and now you have it when it happens in our hearts. And he says, come behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and he shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. And verse 10, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations, and I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. When our hearts, when our hearts are troubled, when they seem like just a raging torrent, an, or an ocean of turmoil, God is our stillness. He calms our hearts. I, I don't have to tell you the implications of this truth that is sung by the sons of Korah. And it, it is profound. And the timing and, and the precision of it is perfect for 
this day, right? 2020 in July. God's heart is on display here. His intentions are on display here. His presence for and with his people is on display here. In our troubled times, here's what the song says. He is our joy. He is our satisfaction. In troubled times, he is our peace and he is our rest. And so, and this is his therefore, because he is our refuge, be still and know him. Be still. What does it mean to be still? You know, the first thought I think of is a little, my, one of my grandchildren who just feel like they're filled with sugar all the time and they can't stop moving. And if you said as a parent or a grandparent to, to one of your grandkids or your children, be still, well, that's this idea of like position, physical thing. But that's not at all what this stillness is. It's a disposition, not a position. It is everyone who has been born into a living hope, as Peter says. The Hebrew word has um, a, a really clear understanding. It's the idea of to, to, to let, like a rope, to let slack in it or to, to let it drop. And it can be a negative or a positive. It could be used of someone who's discouraged or despondent, someone who's got a drop in their, their emotions, something bad has happened. But here it's in, in the positive sense. It's the idea of to drop the self-effort. Stop trying to hold it together. Stop trying to make it right or work out the way you want to. Stop trying to be your own peace. That's exactly what the song is saying. Stop the self-effort. Cease your striving, you know, the striving to manage your own circumstances, to fix your own problems, to sort it all out, to understand everything and to make it work. I hope you're listening, church. Because if, if we simply could lean into that truth, to drop the self-effort or to drop our, our, our striving— I'm telling you radical things would happen in our homes, in our church, and therefore, I think, in the world that we bump into. I believe it's what God is saying to this. You know, when I was studying this week and I grabbed this passage and I said, well, we have, we have, we have studied this before. But I felt so compelled to say it again because I don't think there's a better thing we need to hear than be still and know that I am God. If there's anything that comes out of understanding Christ's heart for sinners or the Father's heart for sinners is the implications of that reality. If it doesn't bring peace, then what are we doing, church? If it doesn't bring a, a, a rest or a cease from our striving, then I don't understand if we're even leaning into the heart of Christ for us. Some of us can get so afraid in a season like this, so worried, so bothered, so angry or stressed, and I think it's because this anxiousness, anxiousness comes because we're missing God's heart, as, it, as it's stated here in this song, be still and know that I am God. What do we know about God that would bring stillness? We've been talking about that for several weeks. And here's the sons of Korah say, well, then just drop the, drop the self-effort. If you know God's heart for you, if you know he's your refuge in troubled times, if you know he is your rescue and he is your strength, then relax, rest, be at peace. He is our refuge and strength, so be still and know. And maybe, maybe to you, maybe you heard this, and you go, well, that, then that's easy. Then I have my marching orders. I'm going to take what I know about God, and I'm going to go to walk in peace, and I'm going to go rest in him. He is my refuge. He is my strength, so that's all I needed to hear. I, but I got to believe it's just not that easy. 
it's not that easy. How do we get here? So I wanna just take a few minutes and try to encourage you how you can actually move into rest and being still based on the refuge of God for you. Here's, here's some thoughts, okay? And it's not exhaustive, but this kind of rest and this kind of peace comes to the humble. It comes to the humble people who, who love God enough and, and love his leading enough in their lives. David, another songwriter, the king who established the sons of Korah to write songs, he wrote one himself, and it's in Psalm 131. It says, My heart is not proud, O Lord. My eyes are not haughty. I do not concern myself with great matters or things too wonderful for me or too lofty for me or too difficult for me. Interpretation, things you don't know. I'm telling you, church, you got to hear me on this. Most of what's going on in the world should have a conclusion at the end of it. Things I don't know or I don't understand. Things that affect your future. Things that affects your, fix your life. How things are going to turn out. Things too deep for us. I don't know how those things are all specifically going to turn out. But I know God and I know he's good and I know he loves me. We've been talking about that for weeks. Here's the problem. And, and the, the problem of pride, this, this initial sin that has plunged humanity and even our culture and our situations currently right now into a complete mess has been the problem. And so let's just talk about that. If, if this kind of rest and peace comes from people who are humble enough to love the Lord's leading and pride is the reason why we're not going to love his leading, then let's talk about pride for a second. Here's what pride does. Pride causes us to overvalue what we think or what we feel about things. I know I sound like a broken record because I've talked about humility in this way, that humility starts with suspicion about you. Like you look in your own mirror and you go, well, if there's a problem, let me start with the problem here. But what we're doing, what we're doing in our culture, what we're doing in our church is we're starting with our with the trouble being somebody else's trouble. And that's just not what humility does. Pride overvalues what we think. It's a big part of the stress in our world or in our own hearts. We think we're right about everything and we think we're right to say something that we think we're right about. And that's just, that's just straight out pride. Pride also causes us to be restless and dissatisfied with what God provides. It doesn't matter what it is. You could say, well, God, that's too much. It's too much COVID. It's, it's too many months off of work. It's, it's too much stress. It's too, much, too many problems out there. God, you could do something about it. So pride is troubled with what God is doing or allowing. Or it is that we think he is... He is not giving enough. Like, God, you're not, you're not hearing me when I cry out to you. You're not stopping these things. You're not, you're not doing kind of an external to internal peace. And so you're questioning, your pride is questioning what God is giving. You're not satisfied with what he's doing. And pride causes us to put our refuge in ourselves. Let's just be really honest. When trouble hits, I go to my bank account. I go to my wisdom. I go to my plans. I go to my opinions, and I go to my coping mechanisms. How often do I stop myself and go to him, who is my refuge and strength? Pride is the one that picks the wrong resources, and that's a problem. But here's what, here's what the song says. Here's what the sons of Korah have sung for us. Peace grows in a humble heart that loves the Father who is in charge, who is in control, who is our refuge, who is our strength. Let me give you a couple other thoughts. Pre 
peace, this kind of peace and rest grows out of devotion to Jesus. Perhaps you remember just off the top of your head the greatest sermon that was ever preached in Matthew 6. In verse 24, Jesus makes this profound statement where he says, you cannot serve two masters. You can't do it. And let me just tell you, and this sounds maybe judgmental, but I, I don't know who, but I just know what happens. Some of us are juggling two masters right now. And you wonder why you're stressed or why you're anxious or why you're worried or why you're angry. You want Jesus and something else. And you want to get to determine what that something else is. And if Jesus isn't your exclusive, exclusive peace, then what else is? You, you know people have given you ways to see it or find it, but I'll give you one. If you want to test and ask yourself what, what other thing, what, what other the devotion you have, what other master you serve, then, then just look at your life and what do you spend your time thinking about? What do you spend time reading about? What do you text about? What do you watch on TV? What do you read? What are the texts that you send? If I could, if I could grab all of your, your personal information and I was like an investigator and I could just look at your texts or look at your reading habits, if I could somehow climb into your head and look at your thoughts, what would it say and what master would it describe? Would it describe a master that is not Jesus, the one who is your peace and refuge and strength in troubled times? Or would I find another one? Like, like if, if it doesn't go this way, if the right guy doesn't get voted in, if the right particular circumstances don't happen and the, the economy doesn't bump up to this place, then we're in trouble. Listen, I want things to go well too. I'm not certain the right thing would be to go backwards, but I even want that. Like, Lord, take us to take us to the beginning of March. That would be a wonderful place to begin because it wasn't so crazy then. But even that, even that could be my other master because if the sovereign one who is my refuge and strength is allowing or causing the things that are causing me stress and what I'm doing is reacting in crazy, unbiblical ways, then probably I'm founding, I, I have found that other master. Peace grows out of devotion to Jesus. He alone is our refuge. A couple others. Peace grows with an eternal perspective. Again, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, don't lay up treasures here on earth. Lay them up in heaven. Lay them up there. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Jesus contrasts in that particular section of the Sermon on the Mount earthly treasures with, with heavenly ones. And he offers an option. He says, so store up your treasure where? Here, here's one. Here you could store it up on earth where it says it rusts away, it fades away, it's stolen away. Or you can store it up there in heaven where you can store up your 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 expectations, your hope there. You can store, store up your dreams there. You can store up your trust there. And here's the promise. And this is what Jesus implies in this passage. You will never lose when you invest in heaven. You will never be disappointed when you invest in heaven. And let's just be honest. When you're worried and when you're anxious, it's never about the kingdom, is it? You're never worried about God quitting his promise. He says, uh, for those who are in Christ Jesus, 
There is no condemnation. You never have to worry that the Father is going back on his word with condemnation because he poured out his judgment on Jesus for you and for me. It's safe there. He says that nothing, nothing could separate us from the love of the Father. Nothing could get us out of his hand. We're not worried about being lost by the Father. His grip is sure. We've talked about that. We're not worried about him failing his promises or not finishing the work that he started because he said, I will make you new. I will glorify you. You will be my people and you will be clean and a pure bride. And you don't have to ever wonder. We never sit around and wonder, what if, what if God quits that? What if he's not going to finish that? What if he's not strong enough for that? Well, that just never crosses my mind. So the only conclusion I can have is my stresses are only connected to worrying about where I'm storing my treasures here, here on this earth. And there, <laughs> well, then I should be worried because rust destroys it, the moth eats it, and thieves steal it, and it will not last, and I cannot take it with me, and yet my anxiousness is about that. What if that happens? Or what if he does this? Or what if they get elected? Or, or what if the economy doesn't open? Or what if the COVID keeps going on? Or what if this whole thing is fabricated? What if, what if, what if our mind just runs down this endless cycle considering, right, this kingdom, the earth, and not his kingdom? L let me finish with one more encouragement. The kind of peace that the sons of Korah are singing about here the kind of peace that looks like stillness because you know him, that he is your refuge and strength, a very present help in times of trouble. That kind of peace is a gift of God. Paul writes to the church in Philippi this, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And get this, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So here's what I want to encourage you to do. Ask God about what troubles you. And then do one real practical thing. Be still. Live out your confession. If you confess the Father's love for you, if you confess that Jesus died for you, if you've confessed that his care for you is so perfect like a father's, and like we've been talking about for weeks now, that there is nothing you can do to lose him. You, there's nothing you can do to disappoint you, that he is, he is moved in his compassion to come to your trouble. If you believe that, church, then be still. Be still and know him. Know what he says about himself. Know what he's, what he's promised to you that he will always do. And then we'll finish today with where we started this whole series, really. God's heart for sinners and sufferers. That truth, that wonderful truth, is that God loves to love us. It's not just a one-time act. Every minute of every day, of, of every month of your life, he loves to love you. Every day and every minute and every circumstances, he loves to be your refuge and your strength. You know him, church. You know him. And you also know, if you're honest, your trouble, your trouble is self-imposed. Your trouble is you're drinking from the wrong streams, just like I do. The only time I'm anxious is when I'm worried about things that don't, 
that, that aren't a part of the kingdom thought. So I want to encourage you this morning, right, to understand and remind yourself over and over again God's heart for you, that he loves to love you, that he loves to equip you for your needs. So ask him for that peace and be still and know that he is God. Let's pray together. Father, I, I can't even begin to tell you how grateful I am for passages like Psalm 46, something so familiar and yet so unbelievably needed and comforting to me. This truth that you are always our refuge, not a one-time refuge. You're, you're an always consistent strength, not a one-time strength. You're always present in our trouble, and there's a big so what. So we will be still, and we will know that you are God. You are with us. You work for us, for our good and your glory. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. That'll never change. So God, I'm praying for my own heart. I'm praying for all my brothers and sisters who are watching. Father, that you would do something extraordinary for our church right now in this season. That God, we would so much lean into your heart for us that we'd have this supernatural peace that surpasses all understanding. God, we love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. It's fitting that we close, as we always do, with why we can believe this. The testimony of our confession, the evidence of that, is the death of Christ for us. A payment had to be made for our trouble. A sacrifice had to be given for our sin of choosing another master. That kind of affection or that kind of work was on display when Jesus left heaven and came to this earth and took on a body like we have and lived a perfect life and then willingly offered up that perfect life to be beaten and bruised and rejected and ridiculed and murdered on a cross. And when that was happening, every bit of your sin, past, present, and future, and all of my sin, past, present, and future, God was pouring out his right and perfect wrath, his justice, on Jesus, the innocent one. The innocent one for guilty ones, to make the guilty innocent. Do you see that? And do you see why Jesus, when he was with his men in the upper room before he was betrayed, took a common loaf of bread to use as an illustration of what was about to happen, that his body was going to be broken for that reason, for our sins. So church, because of that confession, because he is everything to us, let's eat together to remember Again, after... After supper, Jesus took a cup of wine to talk about this new covenant in his blood, this covenant of grace. And so because of unmerited favor, because of this, this heart of God for sinners and sufferers, because of his great love with which he loved us, his blood was spilt. And it's a permanent, a permanent payment and a permanent invitation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, that we are his children, and when we drink and eat every week, we're reminded how he is for us and how he loves us. So church, let's drink together.
Let's pray. God, thank you again for this wonderful time we've had over the last several weeks talking about your heart for us um, as we go again now into worship. God, I pray we can actually sing in our living rooms, in our bedrooms, or wherever we're at. I pray we can be your church and we can join the sons of Korah uh, today as we talk about you being our refuge and you being our strength and you being a God that we know that brings rest to our soul, we pray. Amen. Let's sing together.